You're listening to 340B Unscripted. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to 340B Unscripted. I'm Greg Wilson, and I'm here with Rob Nahoopi. Hey, Rob, how's it going? I am, I'm doing well today. How about yourself, Greg? I'm doing great. I think we're recording episode eight now. We've got eight episodes down. Podcast is cruising. <laughs> we're getting there. We're getting there. I think you need like 100 or something to be syndicated. Uh, so we'll get there someday, but uh, one episode <laughs> at a time. Yeah. Well, before we get into the the topic of the discussion this week's uh, exciting new partnership uh, between SpendMed and, and uh, Trula, who, and we'll introduce those folks in a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about news and upcoming stuff. So, um, up OPPS role. I think during the last episode we talked a little bit about what we were expecting, and the role was finalized by CMS in in November. So, what did we learn with uh, the finalized OPPS role for for hospitals and Part B billing? Yeah, fortunately, it was is what we thought as far as the actual reimbursement. So uh, CMS or Medicare specifically is going with the um, ASP uh, plus six percent, um, uh, which is great, right? That's that's what they had intended or what they they had said they were going to do. We just had to wait for that final OPPS um, billing rule to come out, and it has. The second part, which is interesting, um, which we are waiting for, we hadn't seen any language around modifiers. So those are the JG and TB modifiers. We are hoping they would say we wouldn't, um, covered entities wouldn't have to include them. And of course, what we found out through the OPPS final rule is that they do want those modifiers to continue and they still want JG and TB modifiers. They're just not going to reduce reimbursement. And so that's a little telling, at least for me. I'm not sure what you think, Greg, about what that means for the future, if they're still collecting those. Uh, what's your thoughts on the fact that yeah, they are? I mean, yeah, I think I, I think they recognize that's a that's a that gives them good visibility into 340B activity. So um, I w- was not hopeful that those would go away. Um, you know, I think it'll it'll you know time will tell what they're going to end up doing with those modifiers. But uh, I guess not not su- surprising from my perspective. Right, the- right, and 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 one little last piece to add. Um, you know, one of the groups that I think we may have talked about it last time, but MedPAC who provides uh, guidance to CMS on um, policy matters, um, you know, is still kind of looking at, uh, you know, a recommendation to reduce payments in the future and to reallocate those dollars to uncompensated care versus dish payments. And so I probably don't want to get too deep in the weeds there, but um, that recommendation is still there and did see from 340B Health that, um, you know, they're definitely recommending that MedPAC stop doing that, that the 340B savings really needs to reside with the covered entities to allow the covered entities to um, to to really um, implement the intent of the program, which isn't to spread it out to you know other hospitals who don't qualify for the program. So we'll see yeah. where that goes, um, especially in light of the you know the fact that they have to procedurally do things all over again, and and also in the future, you know, this does uh, CMS do another uh, study and then potentially reduce payment procedurally correct, which was the issue they had and what SCOTUS um, took issue with with how how CMS did it. So probably yeah, I think we'll, that drug pricing surveys. Yeah, drug yes, pricing surveys probably in the in the future for for our hospitals. So, right, right. So, yeah, n- not the last we've probably heard of it, but great news for now. We know that the, you know then payback still has to occur. So we'll f- we'll wait and see how payback's occurring. I think last time we talked a little bit about the fiscal intermediaries at least taking care of 2022, even though we still don't have a lot of information about how they're going to do that for prior to um, the the was it September 28th date. But yeah. um, 
I think more to come on that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, keep, keep in contact with your Mac representative to understand what needs to happen from a rebuilding perspective for, uh, for, for 2022 claims. Some of the Macs are going to just go back and reprocess all of 2022 claims, but there may be some, you know, regional specific billing, uh, submission processes that you'll need to follow to, to get your 22, uh, reimbursement reinstated. And then the future remedy, again, you know, no, no real clarity around how they're going to address repayments back to covered entities back from 2018, 2019. So we've got to stay tuned for that as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, great. Um, let's see, I'm excited to get to our uh, episode today with Curtis and Angie. But before that, I think one other announcement we wanted to make uh, for everyone, um, you know, especially if you're listening to this uh, timely after its release, uh, mid-November, uh, we will be at the ASHP mid-year clinical um, meeting um, in Las Vegas on December 4th through 8th. And just in case you're listening to future, this is 2022. Um, and we are booth 855. Um, and with us at the booth will be myself, uh, Rob, and we'll have Jake Thompson, uh, Chelsea Violet, and also Curtis McIntyre. Uh, which is um, timely because on our episode today, we're actually going to speak with Curtis McIntyre, um, who uh, previous CEO of Trula, um, as well as uh, Angie Whitney, um, I believe COO of, of Trula. And they're on our call to talk about um, some procurement um, um, opportunities with uh, pharmacy space. And uh, we're excited for that. Uh, not sure your thoughts on that, Greg. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited to, to to hear what Curtis and Angie have to have to say. You know, it's a really sophisticated tool and coming from health system pharmacy background where I had some responsibility over drug budget and formulary management can really see the value in, in the Trula software platform. So I'm really excited to throw some questions their, their way and not going to be at ASHP, but always enjoy that, that meeting, just such a, a great contingency of pharmacy folks from across the country. So uh, definitely stop by booth 855 to, to see the spend mend uh, folks. So. Yeah, awesome. It's it's been many years for me before I've been there, so looking forward to engaging with uh of kind of pharmacy leadership and and teams and you know sh- sharing what we can do to help out. So yeah. stop by if you can if you're there. All right, good. Well, let's uh let's take a quick break, and when we're back on the other side, we will bring Curtis and Angie on and talk about Trula. Excellent. All See right. you on the other side. The three forty B unscripted podcast is brought to you by Spendben Pharmacy. Do you wish you had another 340B expert on your team to help you manage your 340B program, but there's no time or budget available to hire an FTE? The SpendBend Pharmacy 340B Staff Augmentation Solution provides you with an industry expert to help manage your 340B compliance tasks. Visit spendbend.com and follow the pharmacy links to learn how you can maximize your 340B efforts. Hey, welcome back everyone. Uh, Curtis, Angie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Greg. Well, thanks for having us. So excited to have you guys here today. Uh, got a lot of questions for you. Um, you know, Rob, anything you want to lead off with in terms of a little bit of background history, how the Spendman Trula partnership came to be? Yeah, I, it's it's a fun story. Um, you know, just for everyone, um, you know, I, I I've shared in the past. I, I worked with Intermountain Healthcare for about almost fifteen years. And uh, in in that time, many of those years, I actually spent working with Curtis and Angie. Um, and so I'd love to kind of give you know my, my summary. They have formal bios, but but sometimes that's that's a little tedious to listen to. So I'd rather tell you the fun parts about Curtis and Angie. Um, I'll start with Curtis. Uh, Curtis, I mean, I'll tell you right. The first time I met Curtis, um, I was actually in my PGY two admin year, and uh, he was um, working over the supply chain on contracting. 
and pharmacy needed a new contract leader. And so um, our, our system pharmacy director brought Curtis over. And the first time I interacted with him was we had to do a big uh, ESA, um, so erythropoietin stimulating agents. Um, Greg, I hope I got that right. Um, PT class review and and you know and, and I was learning and Curtis was just amazing with with Excel tools and database tools and um and so we we actually ended up doing this really good too. So I learned really quick that Curtis is really good on the software and IT side. And over time, Curtis took over all of pharmacy contracting, did the pro forma for this our center distribution center at Intermountain Healthcare, really uh, was kind of the um the leader for really getting better at contracting and making sure that we save as many dollars as we can. So Curtis brings this wealth of knowledge when not only with a pharmacy procurement and, and, and contracting, but also central distribution centers and just his, his just, just aptitude for um, software was incredible. And so, and, and Curtis had not after Intermountain Healthcare um, spent some time with Ascent, which was um, previously a McKesson automation, eventually becoming Omnicell before he founded um, Trula to really develop a procurement software that really that we needed at Intermountain Healthcare and didn't have. And so that was the kind of the brainchild behind Trula. And so what, that's what we're going to be focusing on today is how do you leverage procurement software to help you um, be more efficient and save more on your pharmacy spend, you know, especially as we, we start getting into um, contractual issues and, and drug shortages and increased pricing, decreased reimbursement. Hospitals are really finding it hard right now financially. And we truly feel that... Um, Trula brings a lot of opportunities there. And so that's what we want to share today. But on the other side, Angie Whitney, um, spent known Angie even longer. Um, in fact, when I was a student, a pharmacy student, she was the pharmacy director at one of the hospitals um, I went and did one of my rotations with, got to know Angie really, really well. And then we kind of paralleled careers all through Intermountain Healthcare, worked to the, at the corporate offices of, of pharmacy managers, um, also at our flagship hospital in leadership. Um, and and then Angie took over the Central Distribution Center. And so when I was a pharmacy director, I worked a lot with Angie there. And then over time, Angie actually came over and worked with us. Uh, so some of you that are listening to the podcast and had audits might have had Angie on audit before. But um, Angie ended up going and focusing on Trula and, and helping build Trula software with Curtis. And I mean, I'll be honest, we're fortunate enough to have both of them on that team and that we are able to merge the company. So Trula is now part of uh, Spendman Pharmacy. And I really, I want to stop there because I'm just excited to get into some of the questions and answering and really so we can all learn more about what Trula can do for health systems to help save money and really make things more efficient. Um, but but I, two awesome individuals, super excited to have them on the podcast today. And and I'll pause there, see if Curtis Angie um, wants to clarify anything I said or um, <laughs> or add anything else. You set the bar really hard, right. hard for you, too. That, that yeah, was a really for sure. kind, kind introduction, Rob. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. Well, let, let's yeah, jump absolutely. right in. And I, I, oh, sorry, Curtis. Go I was going to say, I, I remember doing that ESA review with Rob, and um, it was as stimulating as it, as it sounds. <laughs> we had fun doing it. Yeah, that, that was, gosh, over 15 years ago, but that's okay. That's okay. All right. I don't want to date us. All right, let's let's uh, let, let's jump into some discussion. So so you know, 340B unscripted podcast. Our target audience is 340B, but you know, I, I think you you often find in you know 340B covered entity operations just a, you know frequent intersection between the 340B team and the pharmacy buyers and those that are responsible for inventory management. So Curtis, let's talk, let's start with you. What are you seeing today as far as changes that have occurred recently? Evolution of the pharmacy purchasing process. Well, you know, one of the things that, I mean, because we are in a 340B podcast, I would say foundationally 
first. Like you can't talk about pharmacy procurement unless you're also thinking about 340B. Um, I think when you're making decisions, when you're, you know, anything from a pharmacy purchasing standpoint, most health systems that have covered entities, obviously 340B becomes a major element. So we'll, we'll definitely weave 340B into this conversation. But yeah, as we talk about, you know, what is, what are we seeing as changes? You know, number one, and Rob kind of mentioned it a little bit, is just the cost pressures that hospitals are having right now. So if you're a CFO at a hospital, right, what are they doing? They're like, okay, we're losing money. All right, we got to cut costs. And they're going to look at, okay, where do we spend the most money? And guess what? You know, the, the largest category of non-labor spend within the health system, it's pharmacy. It's pharmaceuticals. Right. And, and so, they're yeah, they're going to go and they're going to look there and they say, hey, what can you do, pharmacy, to can you cut some costs? And, you know, at first, at first blush, you'd be like, hey, we're doing what we can and everything. But honestly, there's more there than I think people realize. Um, you know, pharmacy is super complex. There's a lot of layers. And if, if you could stitch all that together in the right way, you can see where the money is. You know, I kind of like say it's like putting night vision goggles and see where the money is on the floor. And, uh, you know, that's a lot of what Trula does is where do we help, you know, the money on the floor. But so cost pressures, for sure. We're seeing health systems, you know, more and more health systems are moving to have consolidated service centers for pharmacy where they're centralizing pharmacy services. Use those central distribution centers for strategic buys, whether that's forward buys, you know, uh, buying in advance of price increases. Um, bulk buys or shortage buys, trying to be ahead of shortages and, and be able to supply the, the organization. So consolidated service centers is another big trend. And then the other one, I think we've seen recently, you know, um, I think most everyone has heard about UCB pulling some products out of the distribution, your typical distribution channels of McKesson, Cardinal, and Amerisource Bergen. You know, I you know, just in what were conversations and, and different things, I think manufacturers are starting to look at ways they can save money. And, you know, they're trying to evaluate, are there, you know, should we be going more of a direct model? Well, that's challenging for pharmacy buyers. They already have a ton on their plate and they have this massive, you know, 90% of their spend is going through McKesson, Amerisourceburg and a Cardinal, but then you have this long tail spend of 503B manufacturers, directs and and um, other specialty distributors that they're having to call in orders, email orders, fax orders. And that's a big challenge. And that's another kind of area of focus for us. So, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll pause there. But those are those are the big things we're seeing in pharmacy procurement right now. And when, when you say manufacturers moving to more direct sale, you know, that gives me a little bit of heartburn based on my 340B compliance role. Rob, what, what are your thoughts on that? You know, that's that's actually an area I really like. And, and, you know, and we should probably clarify for people. There's there's two parts to Trua. One is analytics that and, and Curtis is literally built the best. I'm not just saying this because I like Curtis and uh, and they're part of our, our, our uh, spend men now. But but it is one of the best analytics I've seen. But the second part is that procurement side. And one part as uh, you know, I was, I was I was learning more about procurement. One issue we have in 340B are directs, right? I mean, outside of FFF and the main wholesalers and the sub wholesalers, everyone else is like a manual process. And for when it comes to hospitals, we're manually uploading invoices and doing all these things. Well, that's all introduces risk to the process, right? Did we upload and decrement those accumulations we just bought on 340B Direct or do we not, right? Are we double dipping on those accumulations or triple dipping if no one's decrementing? And so it creates all this risk. One thing I, I, I learned from Curtis and Angie on the procurement side is they can send the EDI feeds to the TPAs for directs. 
And that's a big difference, right? If you can manage that process, so so you're taking out some of these manual processes. So I, I, that's what I get excited about. Not only the efficient, it's just another efficiency that they're adding to the process. Yeah, just just from the the HRSA audits that I've supported over the last few years, there's just seemed to have been a, a greater focus on understanding uh, accumulations and how your buyers are relying on accumulations and the TPA to make these direct orders. So any additional sophistication you can add to your system, I think, really helps bolster your your compliance when managing the the direct accounts. Angie, I got a question for you. Curtis mentioned consolidated service centers, and that's kind of a, you know, not not necessarily a new thing, but uh, certainly a, a hot topic in the health center space. Lots of health systems have implemented CSEs or are thinking about implementing one. You, you've done this before. What what are the biggest benefits of of moving to a, a CSC model for pharmacy procurement? Well, Greg, that's really an interesting question because. Um, from my perspective, there are really several, you know, both financial and operational benefits. Um, so, um, for example, uh, right out of the gate, um, we found with our CSC that our bulk buys and our uh, forward buys, they really resulted in some significant cost savings. I mean, we really were able to justify our CSC, you know, right out of the gate with, with those two alone. So, those are huge there. Um, but but operationally, our shortage buys, they minimized uh, the impact on a shortage to both, you know, the healthcare teams and and ultimately, ultimately our patients. So, um, all those strategic buys together were a real benefit to, you know, to having to our health system, you know, to have a, a CSC. Um, other things, you know, services like uh, centralized packaging, um, it reduces a transactional workload of inpatient pharmacies, and and you know they always appreciate that. That allows them to focus on the clinical services and site-specific activities. So that's, you know, super beneficial. But when you take that um, centralized packaging and you like couple it with low unit measure distribution, um, you can see that that has the opportunity to reduce expired meds across your health system. And so, I mean, there are a, a lot of, a lot of benefits. I can go on for yeah. quite a while. I mean, like, I, I, I want to add in here real quick and sorry if I cut you off, Curtis, but you know, like low unit to measure distribution was huge for, for our clinics. I mean, they adopted it super quickly because they were, you know, they didn't have to, to buy in full pack sizes. And, um, and then as the clinics realized they could get pharmacy service from, you know, clinics are kind of those outliers and they don't get a lot of hands-on with pharmacy and, and they were getting, you know, they had access to pharmacists and technicians that could really help them. Um, with their clinical questions, um, but they were the driver for us to to bring up our non-sterile compounding service there. So uh, we didn't have that, you know, out of the gate. It took a couple of years, but the clinics really found um, significant benefit from our non-sterile compounding service that we were we we brought up and provided to them. So there's um, financial and operational from a pharmacy perspective benefits from that I can see or or that I experienced. Yeah. And, you know, complicated, lots of different variables that you're describing, but, you know, 340B is just another layer of complexity. So, so how do, how do covered entities that are participating in the 340B program, how's it, how's it work when you're obtaining a product from a, a CSC and you've got available 340B and GPO accumulations? How do, how do you utilize the benefit of the CSC and, you know, be ready for, for a hearse audit? Well, go ahead. Oh, and I just want to clarify because what's important here is we've we've seen CSCs two different ways on a 340B side, 
And I think what we want to talk about is if the CSC has a GPO-based inventory, how do we do that? Because if the CSC has a WAC-based inventory, that's different, but that's pretty rare. I would say most CSCs are GPO-based, and, and that's where the compliance risk comes in. So just wanted to give that kind of a introduction before you um, answer that. Well, so, Greg, I'm going to back up a little bit. When we started with our CSC, we attempted to manage manage all this manually, right? It's, it's super, it's super hard. And whether you have, I mean, I'm going to back up a little bit too. So, you know, when somebody's bringing up a CSC and they have covered entities involved, I mean, they can consider many inventory types. You can do a WAC only inventory. That's simple. There's no compliance risk. All sites can order from the CSC, but it's at an increased cost. Um, the number of items carried or services offered are very limited because, you know, you know, your sites don't want to buy whack all the time. You know, you can go with a GPO inventory approach and, um, you know, that's good. I mean, if you're not a 340B facility or even potentially if you're a covered entity that's not subject to the GPO prohibition. But um, if you're subject to the GPO prohibition, then, you know, you have to have GPO accumulations. And then like Rob mentioned earlier, then you got to manually, manually decrement it. And with the GPO inventory, the downside is that those covered entities who want to use their 340B accumulations are going to be required to order those products from their wholesale or another direct vendor. So most places don't really opt for those two approaches. So what Rob was speaking to is either you're going to go with like a WAC inventory or a GPO inventory with replenishment approach. And yeah, the, the WAC inventory um, is probably a little, you know, less risky per se. But, you know, if you're not a covered entity, you don't want to buy WAC inventory. So most health systems really do want to go with the GPO inventory with replenishment approach because because both because that model is most beneficial for the entire entire health system. But it's super hard to manage. You can't do it manually. It requires um, softwares software or, or I'd recommend using software to manage that. But it does allow um, you know, facilities, to, all your facilities to order from the CSC and utilize the accumulations of, of your of your covered entities. And, um, uh, you know, this, there's a, a cost advantage there. And, it, you know, I just, I don't know, I, I, I just think the GPO inventory with replenishment model is, is the best rep, uh, approach. Um, the one thing I just want to bring up real quick is, you know, Trula recognized this was a problem right out of the gate and pulled together a team of 340B experts and, and highly skilled developers to create a 340B engine to really address this problem. And this is something that I am um, really proud of the Trula team for, um, for, for taking this head on and, and dealing with this problem. And um, the engine does require some integration with the 340B split billing vendor, but it does allow everyone to order from the CSC and use accumulations and, maximize cost savings and maintain compliance. I mean, it really, it's, it's a really good thing. Yeah. Angie, just, you know, just jumping in here. I mean, that was the first thing that, you know, we built in Trula just because we, we recognized how big the issue was. You have all these CSCs out there, but they're unable to utilize, you know, are unable to shift to co their covered entities or utilize available 340B and GPO accumulations. And, and so that was key right out of the gate for us is, you know, from our, if you have to have an ordering software and if that ordering software can send orders to the wholesaler, can send orders to direct vendors, and it needs to be able to send orders to a CSC, how do you, how do you set something up compliantly? And so that 340B engine was, 
you know, one of the first things we worked on. And I mean, it took two years to develop that. And uh, I agree, Angie, it's something that um, I think we're really proud of that uh, is available and we have health systems using that today. Yeah, Rob, we, we, it's a proven model with, with 340B covered entities based on recent HRSA audit experience, right? We have. And and I will say that um, without getting into too much detail, we almost almost we need a webinar to do it because there is this huge algorithm that uh, Trula built, which is which is amazing. It really covers everything. You know, that when we look at and say, okay, does it, you know, what about when, you know, how do we, how do, it's, it's a neutral credit base without going into details, but basically it's using um, 340B and WAC accounts to make sure you have neutral credits so that you don't violate the GPO prohibition, which is what was critical for us, right? That's, I mean, com- non compliance with GPO prohibition is a big, big deal, right? That yep. essentially means you're ineligible for the program. You don't threaten, threaten the program eligibility. Yeah. One of, one of the, you know, non compliance areas that can actually get you terminated from the program. So, Super scary. Yeah. And, and so if you're doing a CSE or even if you're not, but um, you know, and, and procurement in general, that that's where the software comes in really handy. If you're doing a hub and spoke model or anything like that to make sure you're compliant. So I haven't really seen software that, that can do that. And uh, I do remember this was a big issue. Andrew remembers, I think uh, I was, I was at our dish hospital. Andrew was at our central distribution center. We talked about how do we do this? Because Andrew's getting these, this, you know, pallet of drugs on a bulk buy and how do we make sure that um, the dish hospitals can buy and, and we kind of walk through the process of what we need to do and I think Angie looked at me like I was crazy he's like that's not going to happen uh, we you know even then we realized we probably need software to do this us manually trying to figure this out wasn't going to work at least not work well so uh, we tried though sad. right we did try but <laughs> yeah oh yeah really we're, hard. <laughs> we're hard-headed that way but yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's a product of necessity, so you know exactly, exactly, and and to be fair, TPAs have tried. They just don't have the you know they've got the TPA side. They don't so much have the procurement side, so it was just really really hard. And uh, you know, and hats off to the TPAs for trying. But now you know, with Trill partnering with the TPAs, you're really getting um, you know a compliant, efficient um, solution that really is is what we need in pharmacy, especially in this space. Yeah, so let, let let's jump back to to procurement and purchasing. So, uh, Curtis, this is uh, a question for you. I just want to come back to something that you had said about your night vision goggles and being able to see the money on the floor. What kind of cost savings is available through this optimization of purchasing through uh, um, use of a technology like Trula? Yeah, I think um, like I mentioned, I don't think people realize how much is is really there. Um, you know, when we talk about NDC standardization, um, you know, I had a client, they had, they were in New York and they reached out to me and they said, Hey, Curtis, we have this $30 million savings goal or sorry, $25 million savings goal. We got to hit in three years. And so, you know, I, we went and we just went after NDC standardization and, and, um, in the first year had captured over 30 million. The, the money is there. You just have to have the right tools to find where those opportunities are. And, and that's, I think, something that from our analytics standpoint, you know, that we really excel on is being able to identify where those big opportunities are and, and enable the health system to just go after them, right? And it's, it's money on the floor, but being able to stitch that data together in a way that it makes sense. Like I hate, you know, when I was on the health system side, you get like the GPO reports or your wholesaler reports, oh, you missed this cost savings opportunity. And most of it was not very helpful, <laughs> to, to say the least. Like, it just wasn't that beneficial for me. And um, and so when, when I had this, you know, this New York client as an example, you know, they have this savings goal. And I looked at it and said, look, 
there's there's money in just driving the standards of NDCs. Uh, there was a group in uh, in the East Coast that I had worked with, and they had 11 hospitals. And I went and I met with each one of the buyers of each of the 11 hospitals, and I asked them the same question. I would say, how do you know what NDC to buy? Like, what which NDC are you supposed to buy? And they're like, well, I just I buy the one I always buy. And sure enough, when we turned on the analytics for them, if there were 10 NDCs in the, for a specific medication, you know, they were buying eight of them, right? And, and and I think anybody can recognize that if you don't, you know, if you're just if you have that type of variety, you know, within an organization, that just leads to extra cost. Yeah. And so if you can get everybody aligned, you know, that's that's the key. And so like this this New York system that that you know they have this 25 million dollar savings goal. You know, we turned on the analytics and said, okay, let's just go through these where your NDC standardization opportunities are. They had a small team, and I recommend this, right? It's they had a small team, um, somebody from supply chain, you know, a couple people from pharmacy. They met every Tuesday, and they were just going down the list and setting preferreds, communicating to their buyers, getting them aligned. This was before we had the software and everything else, so they were just having to do that manually and just going through. And even doing that manually, they captured $30 million in the first year. So there's money there for every health system. I guarantee it. You know, we've turned on the analytics over and over for so many health systems, and the numbers just line up every time. You know, whether it's NDC standardization, um, we also do stuff on price variances, ensure that all your prices are loaded correctly across your, you know, like your GPO accounts all have the same price. Your 340B accounts all have the same price. Because we know things get fall through the cracks. Um, we look at high wax spend, you know, where there's just, you know, it's bad whack and it's unnecessarily high. Um, and then there's also some really nice tools that we're doing on biosimilars. And so there's just, there's money there for health systems. It's just, you, you got to have the tools and, and kind of the right, the right data in front of you to go after it. Yeah, because these opportunities. Just thinking back in my my experience overseeing a, a larger health system P and T committee. These these types of things, these opportunities like standardization of of NDCs, don't oftentimes come to the surface or get the focus of the P and T committee. You're looking at, like Rob said, the big, you know, the big clinical initiatives like standardizing ESAs mm-hmm. or uh, you know developing therapeutic um, substitutions and practice guidelines, but you know, looking at, you know, a large bucket of uh, therapeutically equivalent NDCs where there's variants across the health system might not be a topic that gets uh, the attention of the P&T committee. So you need another pathway yeah, to, yeah. to address that. Yeah, absolutely. And and it shouldn't really, you know, that's, it shouldn't go to the P&T either, right? The P&T yeah. is setting their decisions as far as these are the medications on formulary. They're not necessarily saying, hey, this is the exact NDC we should buy. And, the, and a lot of times it's left up to the buyer if, you know, the buyer's just making that choice. Oh, by this NDC, you know, just take something as simple as propofol, right? There's so many manufacturers there. I could buy Hikma, I could buy Pfizer, I could buy Sajin, I could buy, and how does the buyer know which NDC they're supposed to buy? Now, sometimes you are communicating it down to the buyer, but if you think about what a buyer is faced with, they have 3,500 unique medications that they're buying. And for them to remember, okay, Curtis told me he wants me to buy this NDC for this Medicaid. Like they don't have the time or, you know, I mean, just to even remember all that is super, super painful. And so that's really where Trula comes in is we, you know, our ordering software is buyers don't necessarily buy NDCs. They buy medications. The software automatically routes it to the health system's preferred NDC and preferred supplier. 
So now buyers don't have to remember and they don't have to make decisions on which NDC to go to. They just, I need, you know, 10 of these of this medication. And then that software just routes it. Now all of a sudden you have standards across your health system and your negotiation leverage with negotiation leverage with manufacturers goes through the roof. Yeah. We, we spend a lot of time thinking about uh, clinical decision support in the EHR to help physicians pick the right drugs from our, our formulary. But this is really decision support for your buyers, um, helping to, to pick the actual right NDC that you need to stock on your shelves. How does 340B complicate uh, NDC uh, standardization? You know, with health systems that have 340B covered entities, what what do they need to be doing or thinking about when when trying to attempt uh, these uh, decision makings around NDC standardization? Yeah, great, great question. You have to be looking at your weighted mix price, like, um, and you got to be able to do that easily. Trying to manually calculate, okay, here's the 340B price, here's the WAC price, here's the GPO price for this NDC, and you have to do that for every NDC, and you got to figure out what your mix is. And trying to do that manually is is no fun, um, and and can be just yeah, can be painful. And so, you know, what we do, you know, everything that goes into our algorithms, everything that goes into our analytics, we're looking at the weighted mix price. So we're looking at your your 340B, your WAC, your GPO usage, and those 340B WAC and GPO prices for each of those NDCs to come up with what's that weighted mix price. And, and here's the optimal. Um, you know, a good example right now is a Braxane. So brand of Braxane, you know, is now generically available. A couple of generics have come out. And I've seen, you know, a lot of our clients, you know, or, or as we bring on clients, we can see, oh, they're, they've started buying the generic. But if you actually look at it, because the generic has the cheapest GPO price, I think, for most of the health systems I've seen. Um, but if you actually look at, you know, the mix, most health systems, they're very, you know, their mix is going to be pretty heavy on the 340B side. Brand of Braxane still has the best 340B price by far. So if you're making a you're making an NDC selection based on GPO price, you're missing you know, some pretty significant savings. So that weighted mix becomes important when you're when you're evaluating and selecting preferred NDCs. Yeah, no, Rob, we've talked about this before, you know, just factoring in 340B information when making these formulary decisions. I think this just kind of echoes that 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 sentiment is, you know, it's a real just great value in in looking at your your split of outpatient and inpatient use when you're selecting drugs that have a, a pretty wide variety of pricing price points available yeah yeah and I, I will say that this this part of the analy- is just one part of the analytics um, engine but this weighted mixed price is huge right I remember as a pharmacy director this is something I would have wanted to have and probably my favorite anal- favorite analytic tool that that um, Trula has um, and if you think about the fact that we get 340b pricing updates every quarter, um, you know, we're looking at penny pricing that can really affect this weighted uh, price mix based on how much 340B uh, purchasing you have. Yeah. And so every quarter you could have a change and not realize it that you're no longer purchasing the most optimal NDC. And unless you have an automated way to do that, like Curtis mentioned, trying to do it manually would be extremely difficult. But when you have it automated and just present in a report, you can, it's not even just, you could have it daily, weekly, monthly, whatever, not just quarterly, but you can constantly monitor it to see if pricing change is affecting your, your net cost um, as an organization. So huge, I mean, massively important tool, the weighted mixed price um, uh, analytics. All right, so we're gonna go around the room here, uh, kind of wrap things up. Um, again, 
focus on our discussion around pharmacy buyers truly really is helping the, the, the pharmacy procurement specialists. What do you guys see as the biggest challenges that pharmacy buyers are faced with each day and what needs to be done or can be done to help mitigate some of those, those operational challenges? Angie, let's start with you. Yeah. So for me, I think uh, buyers simply, I mean, it's been said over and over again, but buyers simply don't have the tools to do their job. They need to have the information at their fingertips at the point where they're making the purchase. They should not have to be jumping around trying to figure out what's my preferred NDC, what's on contract, which supplier am I supposed to be buying from? It just needs to be right in front of them at the moment they're making, you know, they're buying or making the purchase. Um, So ultimately, you know, buying needs to be easier, more efficient, uh, less manual effort. And um, I have to say, you know, Trula, that's a core focus of our software is, is, putting that stuff in front of them, putting all the information they need right in front of them. Curtis, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I think Angie, that's a big one. The other big one, I mean, if you ask you ask anybody what's the biggest challenge you face in pharmacy purchasing, I mean, most people are going to say shortages. Um, and when I came into pharmacy, that's when drug shortages really started to peak. It was like 2006, 2007, and it hasn't gone away, right? I mean, these are common meds uh, that have been around a long time. And they just, you know, unavailable, unavailable, unavailable. And, you know, the average health system, about 14% of the medications they purchase are on some type, have some type of supply issue. And, uh, you know, that's something that, you know, that I had experiences early on that kind of prompted me to say, hey, you know, what can we do to help? And, you know, one thing that we've recently added that we're pretty excited about is um, being able to uh really give every medication a shortage risk score you know can we predict every shortage no but there is enough information in the data that tells me this med has a higher risk of going short than this med and so we've we have this machine learning um ai tool that's essentially taken all this data and assigns every medication a score from zero to ten. Zero, it's like no risk of a shortage 10 it's really bad and, um, you know, some of the things we're doing for our clients now is you could say, hey, show me anything that's currently not on a shortage, um, but has a risk score of like seven or greater. And, you know, maybe there's 18 meds there. And if, if we those 18 meds can help you, you know, be ahead of a shortage, like don't go cause a shortage. Right. But if you have seven days on hand, you know, if some of these meds, maybe, you know, let's slowly bulk up to 14 days or 30 days on hand or wh- whatever you need to do but to help people be ahead of some of these. I mean, it's about patient care and, and um, you know, the worst feeling for buyers is, is having to deal with, you know, they need to get a product for a patient and they can't find it because um, it's not available. So I think that's a, that's a big thing that uh, is a big focus for us as well. Great. Rob, anything you want to add? Challenges for pharmacy buyers, maybe the 340B buyers out there? No, I think they covered some goods, but I agree. They're just so busy, right? And um, they're trying to do so much with drug shortages. And I love the drug shortage risk score that Curtis is, and, and you're developing. I think that's going to be, it's amazing that we're starting to get some predictive analytics around that to help. Um, but yeah, I just think it's just the fact that they're just spread so thin with everything going on and purchasing and, and challenges. And what Curtis mentioned beginning, the direct orders, that's going to be a big deal for them to remember where do I buy, not even what to buy which NDC to buy, where do I buy it? That's all going to become very, very difficult. And I think errors are going to occur and, and things we purchase at a higher cost because of it. So um, definitely, I think I think this is becoming more and more of a necessity to have a, a system or a, a process or a software to help with that. Fantastic. Well, I think we're coming close to time here. 
you know, last month we had our podcast guests share their favorite Halloween candy. So let's talk a little bit about Thanksgiving before we end uh, end the episode. So I want everybody to share what they think Thanksgiving, where they think Thanksgiving falls in the rank of your favorite list of holidays and share what your favorite food item is at the Thanksgiving Day uh, table. So Angie, we'll start with you. Uh, well, I for me, Thanksgiving is uh, top of the list for me because um, it's very little work for me. I, I still have my mom. She's elderly, but she still puts on an amazing Thanksgiving and it's a nice relaxing for me and uh, cheesecake and rum cake. Uh, our family recipes on both are my favorite. It's what I look forward to every Thanksgiving. The sweets. Okay. Curtis, how about you? Yeah. I mean, I think any holiday that's, you know, centered around food has to be near the, near the top. Uh, so it's, I think it's number two for me. It's, you know, you got like Christmas and you got Thanksgiving um i love it i love i love that it's on a thursday too so it kind of just shortens that week you always know that you know thanksgiving week's going to be a nice week of a little bit of a break for everybody and and uh my favorite probably i mean I'm, you got to love rolls but mashed potatoes and gravy is probably i just yeah can't go wrong with that all right rob you got to do better than Char- frozen charleston chews this time all right <laughs> hey, those are good um <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm, I actually, I agree with Curtis. It's my second favorite. I love Christmas because I love watching, you know, the kids opening presents and just kind of that celebration of everything that goes around, uh, on around Christmas. And the fact you get, you know, a good break there, but definitely Thanksgiving number two, because of the family and the food, but it, food is tricky for me because I'm kind of like, if you ever watch Ratatouille, I'm all about the combination. I like mixing combinations and I love the fact you can get turkey stuffing, mashed potatoes, and people underestimate it, but cranberries, legit cranberries with all of that and then gravy on everything. That's that's how we roll in Hawaii. We like, you know, we like making the, you know, like local mocha style where you mash it all together. So that's kind of my favorite that you get all these. It's because, you know, to do that on your own for a dinner for just your family, way too, too many components. But when you get a potluck, all the families get together and you make everything. Man, I love I love having all that on your plate and just kind of mixing it, not not physically mixing it, up, but tasting the different things at the same time. So you just that's make a burrito, favorite. you know, you can do a Thanksgiving burrito. <laughs> like, hey, 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 that's, that's a future business opportunity right there. I like it. <laughs> Always thinking, well, Greg, what about you? You, you got, you got to finish, finish with your, your favorites there. Yeah. So, you know, I think as I've, as I've aged a little bit, you know, Thanksgiving's gone up in rank. So, you know, I, I really used to enjoy Halloween trick or treating and Christmas is probably my favorite holiday, but I think I'm, I'm with you and, and Curtis Thanksgiving's probably right there. Number two, love getting to see my family. Um, Stuffing or dressing, if it's actually not stuffed in the bird, it's probably probably my favorite. That's the first thing I'm looking at when I'm trying to fill my plate up at the table. So excellent, excellent. Well, fun. That was, that was Wouldn't we agree? Turkey, turkey's kind of overrated. Do you guys agree generally? <laughs> yeah, I do for sure. You need lots of gravy. That's why I'm with Rob. Like you have to mix it all together to like make the turkey taste better. Or you gotta like pull in the potatoes and gravy and the stuffing and just mix it all together. Yeah, you're right, Curtis. You're right. Uh, lots of good in and of itself. It needs it needs yeah. help. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. Well, Angie Curtis, thanks again for uh, taking a little bit of time to chat with me and Rob. Really exciting to hear what you guys are, are cooking up with the, the Trula platform. Again, if you're going to be at ASHP next month, make sure you stop by booth 855. You can see the folks from SpendMan. You can talk to Rob. You can talk to Curtis and talk to other folks from our team about all your, your pharmacy issues. Anything else, Rob, you want to add before we sign off for the day? No, that was perfect. Great episode. Thank you. Just appreciate Curtis and Angie hopping on with us. Thanks, yeah, for, thanks having for having us. All right. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening to 340B Unscripted. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.